This Dharma talk by Joan Sutherland is the fourth of a series of four titled Reconsidering Mindfulness. It was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico on March 29, 2012. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. Um, I thought perhaps just a few more words on mindfulness tonight, and then perhaps they would be the last, and perhaps not, but we'll see. Um, And to finish, I wanted to talk a bit about aspects of mindfulness that are dear to me. Um, When you look at the Sanskrit and the Chinese words that are what is translated as mindfulness into English. Both in the Sanskrit and the the Chinese, you have a very strong quality of remembering or recollection. That is, in some ways, the first meanings of those words. So that's interesting. How is it that mindfulness is um, fundamentally a kind of remembering or Recollecting, which is a word I love because of the sense of gathering something together that has been dispersed, bringing it back together. And for those of you familiar with the Guanyin Sutra of Endless Life, the lines that go, morning's thought is Guanyin, Kanzeon, evening's thought is Kanzeon, that word thought is this Chinese word Nian, which is, is translated as mindfulness. So... Literally, that sentence, which would be too bulky to say as a chant, is something like, in the morning I bring Kanzeon to mind. In the morning I recollect Kanzeon. In the evening I recollect Kanzeon. So that's the quality of what we're talking about with mindfulness. Um, and it occurred to me that there's a, there's a warmth in remembering that might be brought into our relationship to mindfulness if we take our, our cue from the Chinese and call it heart mindfulness, since the same word in Chinese means both heart and mind. Is there a kind of warmth that comes into the activity where you've got something careful going on in mindfulness, something focused and attentive, but in bringing in recollection and remembrance, you've also got something warm going on as well. So maybe heart mindfulness. Let's just, um, let's play with that for tonight, see how that, see how that feels. How does the quality, how does our, the quality of the practice change if we think of it as heart mindfulness, when we add recollecting to focused attention? Okay, so the obvious question is, what is it we're recollecting or remembering? Last time when we were talking about mindfulness, I mentioned um, mindfulness as a kind of attentiveness to the reality of the other. So we spoke about that as in a sense, the moral dimension of mindfulness. That one of the things that mindfulness does is impress upon us the absolute reality of all the others in in the world and that they're as real as we are. And if we really 
take that in, if we really believe that everything else is as real as we are, that has a certain moral claim on us. That informs the way we therefore treat others, the way, the kinds of relationships we have, the things we do and don't do as a result of a deep acceptance of the reality of, of the others. So this uh, attentiveness to the reality of others is called in the traditional Chinese um, literature an attentiveness to the wondrousness of things. So the reality, the particularity, the diversity of things, which is so perfect to be talking about in our first meeting after the beginning of spring, you know. This is the, from moving from winter to spring, we move from the wisdom of equality to the wisdom of differentiation where from that stripping down that place where the snow covers everything and makes it equal in some way, we've got the glorious profusion of spring, the differentiations and particularities and the beauties of that. Um, so, so this was what was called the wondrous quality of things. It is wondrous that things exist. It is wondrous that things rise and abide a while and fall away again. Um, and so the, um, the attentiveness to reality in the kind of mindfulness we were talking about last week is an attentiveness to the wondrous quality of things, the fact that they exist in all of their multiplicity and diversity. So this week I want to talk about the companion to that, sort of moving in the, through the other gate in our heart. If one gate leads into that, uh, coming into the wondrousness of things, the other gate leads into coming into the mysteriousness of things. In this we're talking about an attentiveness to the dreamlike and the vast quality of everything. And when we are attentive to the dreamlike and vast quality of everything, when that is a part of our mindfulness as well, then we are being attentive to the, what the old texts called the mysterious nature of everything. Everything is wondrous in that it exists, and everything is mysterious in how vast and dreamlike it is. So here's a flavor of the remembering of mindfulness. It's um, the, the bit from Jojo that I often quote where he talks about it's as though you run into a word you don't know. You don't know the meaning yet, but you recognize the handwriting. So when we talk about attentiveness to the mysterious quality of things, that when we talk about mindfulness in that respect, we're talking about recognizing the handwriting in everything, in every being, in every event, in everything we encounter. We don't know the meaning yet. We may never know the meaning. It's too early to, to, to settle on a meaning. But we can recognize the handwriting. We can say in each encounter, I know you. 
we have a relationship as ancient and interpermeated as the world itself. We have always known each other. That's recognizing the handwriting. The paradox of that kind of recognition, recollecting, is that it happens in the territory of what we don't know, of not knowing. So it's a member, it's a remembering that occurs within not knowing. As soon as I recognize the immensity of our previous acquaintanceship, <laughs> as soon as I recognize how long and deep and wide our acquaintance is, it becomes impossible for me to imagine that I can grasp everything about you. How can I possibly, if I am mindful of this vast interpermeation that has gone on since the beginning of time? So I am mindful that I cannot fully grasp you. I am mindful that I cannot bring you completely into the spotlight of my conscious awareness, that there are um, vast continents in you that I don't know, and yet I trust in some fundamental way because I recognize that handwriting, because I recognize the eternal process of interpermeation that has caused the relationship to exist and persist. If we're engaged in a practice like mindfulness or heart mindfulness that involves focus and attention and being conscious of things, being aware of things, I think it's really important that we... um, sort of preemptively antidote the difficulties that that might arise from that kind of focus on focus, focus on attention, focus on, on consciousness and awareness. We preempt the pitfalls of that by by remembering always what we don't know, recollecting always what it will be impossible for us to grasp And that is the very nature of things. That's not something missing or something to fix, but is a fundamental quality of the nature of our relationship with things. So if you remember the Amachai poem about the woman writing the note in the street and leaving it there, and and we talked about how in that In that poem, Amakai says, and I didn't see her face, and I didn't see what she wrote on the paper, and I didn't see the person who would receive that note. There is at once an acknowledgement of what we can't know. And also, if you notice reading the poem, you have no feeling of lack, no feeling of something missing, no feeling of, yeah, but I want to know what that note says. I want to know what that's about. The moment is, is perfect in and of itself, including what is not known. So that it's really important to remember that in our practice of heart mindfulness. Um, Then we acknowledge that our mindfulness 
can never fully reveal a situation to us. Now that might sound kind of weird, because what's the whole point? <laughs> to, to become aware of things um, and, and have a kind of insight and clarity about things. Yes, it's a way of bringing us closer to what is real. It's a way of allowing us to be more intimate with what is real. But we can never fully possess anything. And that's an important part of the moral dimension of mindfulness from this vast aspect. We cannot ever fully grasp or possess anything, and that's probably good. (laughs) So, um, another way of saying this in in another kind of language is that we are not trying to awaken out of the dream of life, wake up from the dream of life, right? Grasp it, get it, make it conscious, know it, be clear about everything. We are trying over and over and over again to awaken into the dream of life, to become aware in the way that it's possible to become aware in a dream, within the dream, not to wake up from the dream, not to repudiate the dream. And we do that, waking up into the dream, again and again and again. And mindfulness is one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we wake up in the dream. So to use some of the language we've used over time, from this perspective of waking up in the dream, Mindfulness is walking barefoot to feel the real contours of the land under our feet. Again, another one of my favorite um, images is, is from the Roman festival of Vestalia when the women would walk through the streets of Rome barefoot. And the sense was that they were walking on the older contours of the land, on the meadows and the marshes and the hills, underneath the paving stones. And that's the sense of mindfulness as waking up in the dream. We walk barefoot. We feel those older contours underneath the paving stones. And we're aware of that Rio Abajo Rio, the river under the river, the river of dreaming that's going on all the time underneath the paving stones and everything else. So if we just stop to think about mindfulness as walking on those contours of the land, that is an expansion, I think, of how we usually imagine it, and an important one. So, um, at any moment in, in, um, in the middle of a shopping mall or, or waking up from a dream at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we become aware right now, right here in this room, maybe in this very moment, that eternity is always passing through. Eternity is always leaving its footprints, its traces, the traces of its body as it moves through every uh, every moment, its soft impression on the air, on our hearts. And perhaps 
if we think of heart mindfulness in this way, then part of it is to be aware of those traces of the vastness, those soft impressions, that that's a part of the moment we're in, that we're waking up in, the moment of which we're aware. The traces of emptiness in the world, the traces of emptiness in our own thoughts, the ways that the that the vastness impresses itself on our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own stories. And part of mindfulness is being attuned to that, is looking out for that, is thinking that that's an important part of what's happening too. If we think of looking in these two directions um, with the eyes of the dream body, which is what we're talking about, the eyes that are attuned to seeing the dreamlike nature of things um, and to seeing the traces of the vastness all around us, we're looking with fresh eyes, with unhabitual eyes. We're looking with our dream eyes from our dream body at the dream body of everything else. So if we have one eye turned toward the phenomenal world with what we spoke of last time as a just and loving gaze in Simone Weil's beautiful formulation, if that's the eye we turn on the things of the world, that just and loving gaze, What is the eye that we turn toward the vastness and toward the vast aspect of everything, toward the traces of emptiness in everything? Um, That just and loving gaze delights in the particular and the vividness of things. The mindful eye turned toward the vastness um, is the eye that has from time to time seen the world go away completely, completely fall away and return, but return as a dream. And knows that the dream is beautiful. So mindfulness with that eye notices how everything is kind of smudgy around the edges that things aren't as solid and real and inevitable as we often take them to be. They are particular and vivid, and at the same time, they're smudgy around the edges. They're not so solid. They're not so inevitable. And everything, even our own thoughts and feelings, are smudgy like a dream in exactly that way. One of the ways we spoke about a kind of a related thing in the koan retreat we recently had comes from the Lankavatara Sutra, an old Mahayana text. And the Mahayana Sutra, the, the Lankavatara Sutra, is explaining this relationship between that which is eternal, that which is what it calls continuous and that which 
um, arises in the shape of a particular life or a particular being or a particular mountain or a particular freeway? Um, What is the relationship between that thing which is continuous and the thing which rises and falls for a while out of it? And it used the language of um, classical Indian music to say that that which is continuous, which is the tendency toward awakening in the universe, that's the thing that is continuous is that inherent Buddha nature, not yet fully expressed, but there in potential. That's what's continuous. That's what sort of, that's the great engine of the universe. Um, that's what it called music, in just the way we mean music, the whole, the whole sense of music and, and everything that that encompasses. That's what is continuous. And then, out of that music arises all of these individual melodies, the melody of each human life, the melody of each of every other kind of life that manifests in the world. And those melodies arise for a while and are sung and then fall back into that continuity. So one way to think about these things of which we are attempting to be mindful is that each of them is a melody that the music of the universe is singing in its momentum towards the awakening of the universe. What about this one? How about this one? I wonder if this will work. What does that sound like? And that from that perspective, um, which is rooted deeply in, in, in Mahayana thought, our task then becomes to discover what we can about the melody that is singing each of us and to join in. And uh, as people were saying on, on the weekend, to harmonize, you know, to find ways to play with it, to, to move with it. That that is, um, that is the nature of our lives as, as the continuous asks through us, what about this as a movement toward awakening? What about this? And I think all of us can feel that some, some attempts seem a bit further on than others, <laughs> seem, seem a bit to move more in that direction of the expression of awakening, but apparently all the attempts are necessary. So this is part of our mindfulness too, to understand that, to see that. Okay, so that's the vast aspect of focused attention. That's what we also, I think, need to be aware of and take into account. And um, what I would love to do just for a moment is something experiential with you, which is just to to sit as you are, where you are, and um, bring into your thoughts the idea of being um, mindful, as in a kind of focused attention, a presence. And get the feeling of that. And then at some point, bring in the idea of being heart-mindful. When you bring in the sense of the recollection of the mysterious nature of everything, 
the way that the things we can't grasp, the things we'll never know, and that that's complete already. Okay? So be mindful, then be heart mindful. And I'd love to hear the differences that you experience in doing that. So what's that like? These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.